Thank you, Jim, for the kind introduction, and uh, thank you all for having me here. So, uh, today I'll be uh, speaking about the omics of bronchopulmonary dysplasia, uh, and we'll be giving you an overview about bronchopulmonary dysplasia, some of the biomarkers which are known, uh, uh, known for bronchopulmonary dysplasia, and some of the research that we have been doing from the translational clinical uh, point of view. Uh, I have nothing to disclose except my, you know, funding, and I hold a patent on every probiotics, which I would not be discussing the use of today. The objectives of today's talks are uh, to define and introduce uh, the audience to bronchopulmonary dysplasia, and then I would be going over the traditional biomarkers of bronchopulmonary dysplasia. We'll be discussing what uh, an ideal biomarker needs to be. And uh, then I would go over the omic biomarkers of bronchopulmonary dysplasia, which uh, we have been studying for the last few years. And in brief, uh, uh, we'll go over what the future holds for uh, BPD therapeutics. So bronchopulmonary dysplasia, as many of us know, is the most common chronic lung disease of premature infants. It occurs in almost one-fourth of very low birth weight infants uh, in the USA. There's, you know, greater than 60,000 cases every single year and uh, was first described by Bill Northway, who was a pediatric radiologist at Stanford, in 1967. During those days, uh, we did not have uh, uh, extremely preterm infants, so it was mostly described in uh, gestation, late preterm gestation, 30 to 34 week uh, gestation. Uh, and uh, Bill Northway uh, noticed the cystic-like finding uh, in uh, infants who were uh, ventilated uh, for a long time and described uh, it as bronchopulmonary dysplasia. So bronchopulmonary dysplasia is marked by an increase in oxygen requirement, and uh, more importantly, these infants who are diagnosed with severe BPD especially uh, have a poor neurodevelopmental outcome at two years of age, the mechanisms of which are not entirely understood. So bronchopulmonary dysplasia, I'll be referring to bronchopulmonary dysplasia as BPD. BPD is uh, one of the few uh, newer diseases which is on the rise, partly because we are now uh, seeing more and more extremely preterm infants survive, uh, and hence the incidence of bronchopulmonary dysplasia is on the rise for the past uh, few decades. Not only is BPD a, a disease of infancy, it has long-term consequences. So this study uh, shows us that FEV1 values in children and adolescents who are survivor, uh, survivors of bronchopulmonary dysplasia continue to be lower throughout their childhood. There's some uh, new studies coming out showing that these infants, survivors of BPD, are more prone to asthma and uh, develop COPD at a uh, much younger age. So it's not only a disease of infancy, it's a lifelong problem. Uh, coming to the definition of BPD, so BPD was first described by Eduardo Banclari from uh, Miami uh, as oxygen requirement at 28 days and abnormal findings of chest x-ray. Uh, this was uh, a relatively crude definition, so uh, Eduardo Banclari and uh, Alan Job from Cincinnati came up with the NIH consensus definition, which divided the, uh, you know, the severity based on mild, moderate, and uh, severe BPD. The most recent uh, definition which is used at most of the places now was coined by Michelle Walsh from Rainbow as a part of the NICHD neonatal network. 
which is a physiological definition of bronchopulmonary dysplasia, in which an oxygen reduction test is done at 35 to 37 weeks uh, gestation and uh, uh, BPD is diagnosed. So in this, at 36 weeks gestation, infants on mechanical ventilation or CPAP or supplemental oxygen greater than 30% FiO2 are diagnosed with BPD. If someone is on oxygen less than 30%, uh, they are subjected to an oxygen challenge test before diagnosis of bronchopulmonary displacement. So all these definitions, uh, if you notice, are, are based on the treatment of the disease rather than the disease itself. Because BPD is extremely multifactorial, has different phenotypes. One BPD child is extremely different from another. Some have pulmonary hypertension, some have tracheomalacia, some have uh, excessive inflammation, which are steroid responsive. People have not been able to define BPD pathology uh, uh, in, in, you know, in detail. So there are problems with the current definitions. These definitions are uh, based on the treatment, which not many disease definitions are based on. Uh, hence, these definitions are operational in nature. Especially in extremely preterm infants, we don't exactly know what oxygen uh, uh, saturations uh, are best for the child. So several uh, centers use different kind of oxygen saturation limits. We know that if it's too low, there's increased mortality. If it's too high, there is increased risk of retinopathy or prematurity. Uh, uh, support trial, there's several other trials which have come after that, which are pointed towards this dilemma. And hence, several centers use a different kind of oxygen saturations, and hence, those centers have different kind of BPD rates because the definition is based on the oxygen requirement of the disease. Hence, these current definitions are uh, problematic. These are operational. Exact definition in the future should be coined uh, on, on sub-phenotypes of BPD with, uh, with uh, actual uh, pathology description. Going over uh, bronchopulmonary dysplasia, which was defined in the past, and the new BPD. So old BPD was described, as I said, by Bill Northway in the 1960s. Uh, it, so, uh, it was described mostly in uh, late preterm infants and was marked by cystic changes, a lot of inflammation, uh, mostly caused by ventilator-induced injury and postnatal insult. Uh, oxygen-induced injury in uh, late preterm lungs, which were mostly in the alveolar stage of lung development. But with the advent of surfactant, more and more preterm infants are surviving at a much earlier gestation, and now we see a more homogeneous pattern of bronchopulmonary dysplasia at, uh, uh, in infants who are born much more preterm, like a 25-weeker infant. And this happens because of the cessation of alveolar development in the saccular and canalicular stage of lung development. So these infants first have alveolar hypoplasia. Uh, in the alveoli they develop, and most of them do not even develop many alveoli. And hence, there is a more homogeneous pattern seen, uh, which is called the new bronchopulmonary dysplasia. So as I said, in the old bronchopulmonary dysplasia, at a much later stage of lung development, the lungs were exposed to postnatal exposure thus leading to BPD, but with, uh, with more and more preterm infants surviving, the new bronchopulmonary dysplasia is a result of developmental arrest of alveoli uh, uh, or lung development at the canalicular saccular stage of lung development. And lung development is a, is a uh, very detailed orchestrated process 
uh, in which there are several school of thought, whether the vasculature comes first, whether the epithelium comes first. But the most recent uh, understanding is that the vasculature and the epithelial growth happens hand in hand and, uh, and are both extremely important. So what I'm trying to emphasize here is this is one disease which we do not understand completely. We do not understand the pathophysiology of this disease completely and hence making a diagnosis of the disease and predicting the disease uh, becomes extremely, uh, extremely difficult. In, in simple terms, we used to define bronchopulmonary dysplasia as immature lungs with surfactant deficiency exposed to oxygen or ventilator-induced injury uh, and developing the phenotype. But uh, with more and more uh, uh, data coming in, we now know that BPD is a disease of the immature lungs in which several disease-modifying genes are involved, which lead to inflammation, apoptosis, atelectasis, and other uh, subphenotypes. On top of it, every center has different clinical practice. So some use more fluids, some use more volumes to resuscitate these infants. Many have increased risk of infection uh, rates uh, in the NICU. Uh, different type of nutrition is used. So it is a very heavily uh, orchestrated process, and we do not understand how exactly the pathophenotypes of BPD are described. Hence, predicting with a single biomarker becomes extremely difficult. Due to this, uh, our group and several other groups have now delved into a systems biology approach of diagnosing and predicting bronchopulmonary dysplasia based on uh, some omic biomarkers. So what is a biomarker? A biomarker is a characteristic that is measured and evaluated as an indicator of normal biological process, pathogenic process, or pharmacological response to therapeutic intervention. Biomarkers can be any clinical feature, radiological finding, or any biochemical uh, lab-based test. And why do we need biomarker for bronchopulmonary dysplasia? An ideal biomarker would tell us very early in the game that this baby is more resilient to the disease or is more predisposed to the disease. We see bronchopulmonary dysplasia in several gestations, but it's not necessary that a 24-weeker, two 24-weekers will have similar outcomes, even though they're subjected to the same clinical course. So several infants are predisposed to the disease versus they are uh, resistant or resilient to the disease. So an ideal biomarker would help us predict if a baby is more predisposed to the disease and we could uh, have a personalized kind of approach in that, uh, those babies. In addition, it will uh, help us uh, use targeted therapies for high-risk group and specific endotype or specific targeted therapies adjustment of therapies, and uh, more importantly, will lead in, uh, into disease mechanisms uh, which would help us develop newer therapeutics. Going over what was previously known about uh, predicting bronchopulmonary dysplasia. So the most uh, commonly used predictor for BPD is developed by the NICHD neonatal network and includes clinical variables like birth weight, gestation age, postnatal age, uh, sex, race, and uh, respiratory support. Over the years, several groups have studied several individual molecules in the lung tracheal aspirates, in the blood, uh, in exhaled breath. Uh, they have looked at lung function as predictors. 
They have looked at urine uh, metabolites, and uh, people have even looked at imaging studies to predict bronchopulmonary dysplasia. But a fundamental problem with a majority of these uh, studies uh, is that they were done when the disease was already established. So yes, it would tell us what the disease progression would look like. It would tell us uh, if uh, the outcome after establishment of the disease uh, would be bad or not, but uh, it doesn't help us prevent the disease. It doesn't tell, tell, uh, tell us early enough that we could do something about the disease. So hence we started uh, studying the omics of bronchopulmonary dysplasia. The general concept of omics is studying systems biology, uh, big data uh, from the, the, the genome, study of the genome is called genomics, study of the transcriptome, which is transcribed from the DNA, is transcriptomics. Uh, the DNA, uh, the transcriptome or the mRNAs translate into protein, study of which is proteomics. Uh, all these bigger molecules break down into smaller molecules, metabolites, study of which is metabolomics. And uh, on top of it, several other host issues like microbiome, study of which microbiomics, could affect uh, all of these processes and uh, in an orchestrated fashion lead to the phenome, which in our case is bronchopulmonary dysplasia. So the newer concept is, as I said, uh, it's not just the DNA uh, uh, transcribing the mRNA and translating into the protein. There are several other processes going on which have now been identified. The microRNAs affect your mRNAs and, uh, and are recently discovered. Uh, the long-coding RNAs, the metabolomics, microbiomes. So it's a, it's a very complex process. So first, going over the genomics of bronchopulmonary dysplasia, what is known uh, about the genetic studies in bronchopulmonary dysplasia. Uh, in the past, twin studies had revealed that genetic factors account for 50 to 60, 53 to 65 percent of variants in uh, bronchopulmonary dysplasia. The largest uh, genome-wide analysis was conducted as a part of the neonatal research network where they used 751 extremely preterm infants, out of which 428 developed bronchopulmonary dysplasia. Uh, they checked for uh, they checked uh, the, uh, for genome-wide analysis in blood spots collected from these infants and identified several SNPs. Out of which the two SNPs which were uh, the most uh, uh, highly uh, had the lowest false detection rates were uh, adenosine deaminase receptor and the CD44 receptor, which is a receptor for uh, uh, RAM uh, or hyaluronan. So the pathways which were identified were pathways of microRNA-219. Interestingly, microRNA-219 is, uh, is a strong regulator of PDGRF-alpha, which is involved in uh, alveolar development, has been studied in detail in lung development studies in the past. And there were uh, some other pathway studies uh, identified, like the phosphorus oxygen lias activity. So what this study, uh, in addition, told us was there were large differences in what was found in severe BPD versus moderate and mild BPD. In the past, we had been clubbing BPD together. Most of the studies was done in BPD, but a baby requiring 25% oxygen could be extremely different from someone who is on 100% oxygen on a ventilator, on nitric oxide, on a ton of steroid. So just generalizing bronchopulmonary dysplasia uh, uh, is probably not the best thing to do. So we embarked on several other omics studies uh, and uh, first looked at the microbiomics of bronchopulmonary dysplasia. So introducing the concept of microbiome, so what is the human microbiome? Uh, 
the Human Microbiome Project says that the human body has 100 trillion microscopic life forms. Just to give you a context, that is almost 10 times the number of human cells that we have in a body. So we have 10 times the number of uh, human cells. So uh, many people now believe that we're nothing but a bunch of uh, bacteria. Uh, over the years, several myths have been busted. Uh, one such myth used to be that culture is gold standard, but now we know that only 1% of all bacteria can be cultured. And culture-independent methods like 16S sequencing and metagenomics have revealed that microbiota of humans is far greater than previously recognized. The Human Microbiome Project uh, recognized uh, a distinct microbiota from various uh, organs of the body, uh, different parts of the human body, but initially the lung was not included in their project because uh, of another belief that the lower airways are sterile. We always believed that the lungs are sterile, but now we know that this myth has been busted also. And uh, in adults, uh, they started uh, doing 16 sequencing uh, in the lungs and found a huge plethora of bacteria in the lung, even in normal lungs. So our question was, what is the airway microbiome at birth in preterm infants and term infants? And is there an airway microbiome uh, association with chronic lung disease? More importantly, can the airway microbiome, if we find it, predict the development of chronic lung disease? So we conducted a prospective cohort study of all intubated infants less than 28-week gestation and had some uh, gestation match full-time controls who were intubated for non-respiratory reasons. Uh, we collected tracheal aspirates uh, at birth and at various time points subsequently from uh, these infants right in the delivery room. Uh, one problem being a neonatologist is uh, our babies that we take care of are extremely friable. So I get this question all the time from adults that why didn't you do a BAL or why didn't you do a biopsy? We cannot do that in uh, these babies. And, uh, and, and uh, so tracheal aspirate was the best surrogate marker for lung microbiome for us. A total of 150 ELBW infants were uh, enrolled, and we had a discovery set and a validation set in collaboration uh, uh, with uh, Dr. Bhandari at uh, Philly. And uh, for the biomarker discovery and validation, because we wanted something extremely early, we used only samples collected in the first six hours, before surfactant administration, uh, before uh, the babies were fed. So this slide depicts the general microbiome distribution seen at birth in term infants, in ELBW infants, and uh, ELBW is extremely low birth weight infants, and uh, in infants with established bronchopulmonary dysplasia. Each bar, uh, each color represents a different uh, phyla of bacteria, and as you can see, uh, the blue, which represents proteobacteria, uh, is pretty consistent uh, between term infants and ELBW infants at birth. We did not find any statistical difference in microbiome at birth in the lungs of extremely preterm infants versus determined infants. Although in established BPD, there was much more proteobacteria marked by the blue and much less firmicutes. Firmicutes uh, consist of lactobacilli and other uh, organisms, some of which uh, are uh, thought to be beneficial. So there was a distinct dysbiosis that we found in bronchopulmonary dysplasia. Not that we did not expect it. These are the babies who are subjected to more antibiotics and all. But what was interesting was uh, mm -hmm. Uh, when we followed few infants from birth 
until the development of bronchopulmonary dysplasia, the dysbiosis was extremely typical. If you see the amount of blue increasing, it was a very, very consistent finding uh, with time. The blue, which is proteobacteria, increased and orange decreased. And all these five infants had different courses of antibiotics, different length of antibiotics, and had different uh, pathophenotypes of bronchopulmonary dysplasia. Hence, we started thinking, is this uh, something which would be uh, associated with the pathogenesis of the disease? Is this dysbiosis leading to something which is causing the disease? And we have done several studies after that in our animal models, which does prove that a dysbiosis is leading to a neutrophilic inflammation, which is contributing to bronchopulmonary dysplasia. And in the interest of the pediatric granddaughter, I wouldn't delve into it today. Uh, as, a, as a biomarker, we did find that infants who had decreased lactobacilli in the airway right at birth were more predisposed uh, to bronchopulmonary dysplasia. This was an important finding. Uh, so we, we wanted to validate this finding, and even in our validation cohort, we found the infants who were BPD resistant in the future had uh, more lactobacilli in the airways right uh, at birth. So, uh, the, so this tells us that lactobacilli probably is protective, and it's not the postnatal acquisition which is protective, even at birth. Uh, if you have decreased lactobacilli in the airways, it could be protective. And, uh, and this led to a very interesting thought that where does this bacteria come from? Is it prenatally acquired? And our future studies have uh, alluded to the fact that uh, most, more than likely, uh, the fetuses are not sterile and probably the lung uh, microbiome is acquired in utero. So, summary of a microbiomics finding in BPD. Complex microbial community is present even at birth in the neonatal airway. Airway microbiota of preterm and term infants at birth are similar and do not differ by the mode of delivery. Infants of mothers with chorioamnionitis have decreased airway lactobacilli at birth. And for years, we have known chorioamnionitis to be an independent risk factor for bronchopulmonary dysplasia. Could this be the mechanism? An airway microbiome signature at birth, that of decreased lactobacilli and increased gamma proteobacteria, can potentially predict the future development of bronchopulmonary dysplasia. And uh, most importantly, uh, now we know that lung microbiome is probably acquired in utero. I still use the probably term because uh, these are unpublished uh, data that I'm showing you. Next, on the same samples, we wanted to conduct uh, some transcriptomic analysis. Uh, we conducted some mRNA analysis, but uh, but uh, the newer the uh, newer thing at that time was microRNAs, and I will tell you why. So, what is a microRNA? These are small endo uh, endogenous non-coding RNAs, which are so small that they're extremely stable. Uh, each microRNA could target several mRNAs, and uh, a single mRNA could be uh, could be a target of uh, different uh, microRNAs. They're highly stable and small, and hence are great uh, biomarkers. But more importantly, uh, we now uh, have, uh, have log nucleic acids and mimics of microRNAs to actually inhibit or overexpress these microRNAs for a therapeutic potential. Most of these microRNAs are carried around uh, in exosomes, in uh, blood, or uh, in body fluids, uh, are packaged into exosomes. 
and uh, hence we looked at exosomal uh, microRNAs and conducted this airway exosomal microRNA biomarker cohort study in which uh, around 180 babies were uh, screened and we included only uh, only 18 infants in the discovery cohort and 12 uh, in the uh, in the validation cohort who developed severe uh, bronchopulmonary dysplasia uh, uh, phenotype, uh, uh, sorry, uh, out of which uh, only nine developed severe bronchopulmonary dysplasia phenotype in the discovery cohort and six in the validation cohort. So from all these infants, we uh, we collected tracheal aspirates, isolated exosomes from the tracheal aspirates, and profiled uh, for all existing microRNAs uh, using a nanostring methodology. So as you see here in the discovery cohort, out of all 800 microRNAs, around 40 were distinctly uh, different between the BPD susceptible and the BPD resistant groups. And again, I would not go over each molecule here, but there were around 40 which were distinct between the ones who went on to develop severe BPD versus who did not develop severe BPD. And these were samples collected right at birth. On validation, out of the 40, six microRNAs were decreased in the infants who went on to develop bronchopulmonary dysplasia, out of which microRNA 876-3P was the most prominent. On independent uh, ROC curve analysis, this uh, microRNA 876-3P had an area under the curve around 91%, so had 91% sensitivity of independently predicting severe BPD right at birth. We then used this microRNA in our animal models of bronchopulmonary dysplasia. And as I said, uh, this particular microRNA was decreased in the infants who developed disease. So uh, we thought, why not we increase it with a mimic and see if bronchopulmonary dysplasia uh, phenotype is resolved. And uh, interestingly, the alveolarization in the infants who uh, uh, received the, uh, in the mice who received the therapeutic microRNA mimic uh, the alveolarization was improved. Uh, here you see radial alveolar counts, which uh, which give you an estimate of uh, alveolarization, more the radial alveolar count, better the alveolarization. Uh, in control infants, uh, in control mice, uh, that is a BPD mice, there was decreased RSC, and uh, in the treatment mice, there was significantly improved radial alveolar count. Now coming on to the metabolomics of bronchopulmonary dysplasia. So metabolomics or metabolome is extremely complex. And this is because metabolites are synthesized from every single cell of the body. There are several uh, metabolites uh, stimulated from the cells as a result of antibiotic exposure and other drug uh, exposure. And more importantly, uh, I talked about the microbiome. Uh, each microbe uh, could stimulate uh, different kind of meta metabolite uh, from the body. And hence, it's extremely complex, uh, uh, and independent metabolome uh, analysis or, or metabolic analysis of independent uh, molecules is probably not the best way to study this. And hence, we conducted a metabolomics analysis using mass spec and found in the same uh, groups of uh, infants, in human infants, there was a very distinct metabolome uh, in the ones who developed bronchopulmonary dysplasia uh, severe bronchopulmonary dysplasia versus who did not develop bron severe bronchopulmonary dysplasia. Looking at the individual molecule and uh, molecule and uh, pathways, the pathways of androgen biosynthesis and steroid and fatty acid synthesis stood out. 
Over the years, we have been uh, baffled by the sex predilection of bronchopulmonary dysplasia. We know that uh, little boys are more predisposed to the disease. So could this be related to bronchopulmonary dysplasia pathogenesis? Uh, in, in the recent times, people have started studying the sex predilection uh, of uh, bronchopulmonary dysplasia, and our data uh, points towards the, uh, the role of androgen receptors and the role of the androgen biosynthesis uh, pathway. Interestingly, one of the microRNA, which was the top uh, hit on our microRNA omics, the 876-3P, has uh, the uh, regulates androgen receptor. It is the top regulator of androgen receptor. So it is all uh, coming together. And as I said, the fatty acid activation in androgen and estrogen biosynthesis and metabolism pathways were uh, most mostly affected in our metabolomics analysis. So what do we do with all of these omic analysis? Uh, and again, these are just three of uh, the ones which I've shown you, but we have conducted proteomics analysis. We have some RNA sequencing data. So our goal is, on a clinical translational front, to predict bronchopulmonary dysplasia, to have a personalized approach to these infants. The best predictor at this time is a clinical predictor, as I alluded to earlier, the neonatal BPD outcome estimator from the NSCHD neonatal network, which uh, includes gestation age, birth weight, uh, sex, race, postnatal days, ventilator type, and FiO2. But interestingly, the ROC curve, if you see the ROC curve for this estimator, it's just around 60%. So it has 60% sensitivity. So what we are trying to do now is add each omic variable uh, through CART models and logistic regression to increase the ROC curve of this, uh, uh, this uh, estimator. And we we hope, again, this is in process, and we hope we'll be able to get a 90%-plus sensitivity to predict the disease right at birth. So what have we learned at the basic science level from these studies? Uh, and it's not only us, but several other groups around the country uh, who have uh, gone back, used our omic findings, and used it in animal models. and. So far, just to summarize in one slide, the pulmonary cells have several extracellular vesicles or, uh, or vesicles which are released as a result of dysbiosis. These exosomes or extracellular vesicles have several microRNAs and other, uh, other non-coding RNAs and other type of RNAs. In addition, the dysbiosis leads to metabolite production directly or as a result of stimulation of pulmonary and other organelle cells. So this is what we have found as a result of our omic analysis data. So what does this mean? So where we are heading is therapeutic development based on these findings. So people are now starting to use antagomir and mimicmir to uh, block each relevant microRNA or overexpress each relevant microRNA. People are uh, looking at metabolo metabolites uh, and uh, targeting them with specific enzymes. We have started doing some healthy infant exosome transplant experiments in our animal model, and uh, we are seeing uh, extremely good phenotype uh, uh, data. Uh, if you if you transplant diseased exosomes in mice, even in normoxic condition, even in non-infected condition, they develop a bronchopulmonary dysplasia phenotype. 
which is extremely interesting. We just don't know what is in that uh, exosome and where those exosomes come from. So cell-specific studies are warranted at this time. But as we believe that the dysbiosis is actually leading to this cascade, uh, we are trying healthy infant respiratory microbiome transplant and some respiratory probiotic transplant. So conclusions of my talk today, bronchopulmonary dysplasia is a complex multifactorial disorder. Bronchopulmonary dysplasia is multifactorial, has several subphenotypes, and hence does not have a good definition at this time. Operational definition, that is the current definition of bronchopulmonary dysplasia, do not capture phenotypic and genetic heterogeneity. Unbiased evaluation of omic biomarkers combined with clinical predictors may help diagnose and uh, prognosticate a responsive therapy in bronchopulmonary dysplasia and may lead to personalized intervention. Our vision is if we could have a plethora of tests on the first day of life, uh, it could be a chip-on method or uh, if we could have uh, some quick turnaround for these omic variables, we could actually predict the babies who are going to develop some severe bronchopulmonary dysplasia. And moreover, we would exactly know what is defective in that baby. Is it the microbiome? Is it the transcriptome? Is it uh, the metabolome? And, uh, and uh, use only that kind of a therapeutic in those babies rather than subjecting everyone to steroids, rather than subjecting everyone to uh, some different kind of uh, uh, therapeutic. So as I said, personalized medicine is the future. And uh, we, we want to uh, develop an integrated clinical research infrastructure uh, across the country. The problem with pediatrics is, unlike adult, uh, adult research, that we all work in silos. And not most of the organizations are connected. Uh, this leads to decreased number of samples. Our studies are not powered enough, especially for uh, these kind of studies, we do need a huge network. So we are working towards creating integrated uh, networks for sample collection, creating integrated biorepositories. Uh, so most of these studies were conducted at University of Alabama, where we are lucky to uh, have a huge patient population, and our rate of bronchopulmonary dysplasia is less than 30%. I don't know if it is good or bad for diagnosis of disease, but I, I'm sure it's certainly good for uh, the babies. I would like to thank everyone involved in these studies at UAB and our collaborators, uh, especially the parents who consented and gave us a permission uh, to you know, study their infants. And thank you so much. I would like to uh, thank Jim again for having me.